0: So I get this email from Lenora in Yakima, Washington, and this is how the email goes. It says, About 10 years ago, I lost my husband to cancer. Shortly after my husband's passing, I rescued the cutest little three-year-old male Yorkie named Sigmund. The problem I'm having is that after a decade of being single, now I'm starting to date and there's a fellow I really like. But I can't have him over to the house because Sigmund absolutely hates him and wants to kill him. I don't understand this at all because Sigmund loves absolutely everybody. Can you help me? Am I ever going to have a social life again? Well, Lenora, um, how do I put this? This might not be a training issue as much as this might be an issue of your guy's character. I mean if what you tell me is true if your dog loves everyone but hates your guy well it might want to listen to your dog because uh, Sigmund might be trying to give you some really really good advice so I guess as far as my advice goes as far as what I would tell you to do in this particular situation um, I would have to, I would have to say, it's time to rehome the boyfriend and kick this guy to the curb. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood, having trained more than twenty-four thousand vets, helping you and your fur babies thrive live in studio it's pet talk today with will bangura answering your pet behavior and training questions ladies and gentlemen please welcome your host and favorite pet behavior expert will bangura Good Saturday morning, pet lovers. I'm Will Bangora, and you're listening to Pet Talk Today, heard in over 75 countries worldwide each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, where we take your calls and provide you with practical answers as well as evidence-based and science-based positive training solutions to your puppy and dog training and behavior problems. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your continued support of Pet Talk Today. Please do us a favor and share Pet Talk today with all of your family and friends who are dog lovers so that they can benefit from that as well. Um, not everybody can afford private in-home training, so this is my labor of love to be able to give back to the community. We're so glad that you're here today. It's going to be a fantastic show, but first, do me a favor, go ahead and li- click that like button, click the share button, and Do us a favor, comment in the comment section where you're from and what kind of dog that you have. We'd like to know that as well. Um, If you're brand new to Pet Talk today, let me talk a little bit about how this works after I take a drink here. So like I said, I'm here to take your questions and provide you with um, practical solutions In addition to that, um, we have topics that we talk about. Um, We do interviews as well. And today, we are going to have an interview. And then also, if I've got time, because I mentioned I was going to talk about the top five mistakes that people make in dog training. So definitely, we are going to hopefully cover that. Um, We may go long today. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Does everybody know? that June is National Pet Preparedness Month. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that until just recently. So I think it's absolutely perfect that we have the guests that we have today. And we've got Linda Malone and we've got Kate Kaysen from the Frontline Coalition as today's interview guest on Pet Talk Today. They teach pet CPR and first aid to pet parents Um, as well as other educational um, courses as well. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Welcome to Pet Talk today.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Good morning.
1: Thank
0: you. Yes. Thank you so much for getting up early. Hopefully you've got a cup of coffee and our uh, listeners are (laughs) got a little cup of coffee and uh, doing something with their pups as well. So tell me, what is the Frontline Coalition?
1: The Frontline Coalition is um, a brainchild idea that Kate and I had last year. We actually just celebrated our one-year anniversary um, that we teach together. We teach pet first aid CPR together, and uh, we travel all over the country to teach this to pet parents and pet professionals. And uh, we are also continually developing new classes. Kate teaches uh, uh, pet parents and uh, pet professionals, so pet pet nutrition, uh, disaster preparedness for your pets, um, wellness, all different topics um, that it would uh, concern pet parents, pet professionals how to take care of their pets and have make them feel comfortable and have a long, good, quality life.
0: What a great passion for you guys to be able to provide, a great service to provide as well. So, Melinda and Kate, tell us a little bit about your background and why you now teach pet CPR.
2: So, um, I was a first responder. I grew up in a first responder household. And uh, when I got older, I became a first responder myself. I was in law enforcement for about 20 years. And during the, that time period, um, I also taught at the police academy, and one of the things that I used to teach to first responders is the CPR first aid for the human side. And um, even though I had all that emergency response in my background, it took one morning to have my five-pound chihuahua start choking for me to realize, uh, how do I do Heimlich on a five-pound dog? And luckily, whatever it was that I did, because my body just went into this reaction, it was enough that it pushed that that food out. And uh, that's when I realized at that point that, yes, it's great that I have all that emergency response in my background, but to do it on a dog is a completely different thing. And so that's when I sought out a class to learn the CPR, first aid for pet side of things, and just... Knew at that point I needed to go out there and start teaching this because when you are the one that normally is prepared to be in that moment and feeling absolutely helpless was just a feeling that I don't ever want to have any other pet parent have to experience. So,
0: absolutely, that's why
2: we're out here teaching what we're doing.
0: Well, bless you for what you're doing. So Let's talk about, you know, for people that are out there that might not know, why should somebody learn pet CPR?
1: Well, you just never know when something's going to happen with your pets. You know, you can be like me right now. I'm sitting at home with my dogs and, you know, they could have choked on their food this morning. And, you know, we are traveling with our pets. We're taking our pets to grooming facilities, daycare, boarding and those people who are taking, taking care of our pets should also know this information, because uh, usually when things happen, it's usually in the you know, nine o'clock at night on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and when the veterinary hospitals are all closed. And you know, you have to be able to take care of your pets and uh, stabilize them so that you can get them to the veterinary hospital alive, and uh, so that they can you know sur- survive any type of incident. Because we tell people. You are the first responder for your pet. We do not have a 911 system for our pets. We are that 911.
0: Wow, so true. Now, you know, the thought of a four-legged family member being in such, you know, a scary situation, boy, that can send chills down the spine. But knowing how to do CPR on a dog could be the difference between life and, well, the opposite. And pet CPR is different than what we learned for people CPR, right?
2: It is. and. You know, there is a lot of similarities, but there's also their differences as well. And that's why we I like to bring my little tiny Tim, who's a three and a half pound shihzu, because so many people we hear it so much as far as, well, I already know the human CPR. Okay, well, here you go. How do you do it on a a three-and-a-half-pound dog? And so even though there are a lot of similarities, there's definitely some differences.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, Can you share how you teach pet CPR to the students?
2: Sure. Well, we
1: we do is uh, in the class, uh, we have actually stuffed animals for people to practice on. And everything that we teach is hands-on. We do not offer any... Online training for this because we feel it is so important that people actually put their hands on a stuffed animal to be able to practice these skills. Uh, because if you don't practice them and do it in person, you're not going to be able to uh, do this for real. Because you're you've never if you've never done it before or even practiced it, uh, you're going to freeze. You're not going to know what to do. Um, and we go through what to do for like a tiny tin size uh, cage dog three and a half pounds all the way up to 150 pound size dogs so that people know what to do. And also this includes cats. It's just not for dogs. We, everything that we teach is for both dogs and cats for the CPR.
0: Gotcha. You know, from choking to heat stroke, you know, there's a number of reasons why you may need to seek emergency care for your pup. Um, You know, while most pet parents can tell right away when their dog is sick or injured, I thought, Melinda, you can share some additional signs to watch out for when, you know, determining if your canine companion needs emergency care.
1: Sure. Um, This is another thing that we teach in the class is how to recognize a possible emergency situation. How are they acting? Are they lethargic? Uh, Panting heavily? What color are their gums? That's one of the main things that people need to look at when their dog is not feeling well or if you just think there's something not right is to check the color of the gums because that tells you volumes right there within the first few seconds also too if they are stumbling around and not walking properly they could have a head injury or something going on neurologically um, it just we also teach what we call the snout to tail assessment which means we check the dog from the tip of its nose to the tip of its tail so that way we know what's normal for that pet. We have a baseline of what is normal for our pet because what may be normal for my pet may not be normal for your pet. Every pet is different, just like people there. And you know, it's, it's, it's very similar. Every pet is, is separate, is different and their normal is going to be completely different. So that's the importance of getting to know your own pet so well.
0: Got it. Got it. Now, you know, <sighs> In some ways, it's self-explanatory, but why is it important for people to take this course?
2: I think it's important for people to take this course because of the fact that, um, you know, one of the things I like to point out is this: for the people side of things, we have a whole network. We have... You know, the first thing that we're taught is go call 911. And so when we call 911, we activate the dispatcher who then activates the EMS personnel, who then activates the nurses, who then activates the doctors. We have a whole system that's set up to help take care of ourselves, but we don't have that for our pets. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times we don't think about that until the incident happens. And so it's not. It's not go call 911 and have somebody on the way. It is you have to know what to do to be able to stabilize that pet on top of the fact that you're the one that needs to transport it. On top of that fact, you're the one that needs to let the veterinarian know know, what happened, what's going on. And there's going to be certain information that they're going to want. To be able to attend to the emergency properly. And so it is one of those things where we don't think about it until it's too late. So if we are prepared, if we know, if we do hands on training, if we have that, you know, muscle memory to where our body can just start kicking in and we could address the emergency, we have to realize in an emergency situation, every second counts. And the more that we delay any type of response, the, the less of a chance that that pet is going to have. So I think it's really important to have that mentality that um, we are their first responder.
0: Yeah. Now, I noticed that you guys, at least, you know, the Frontline Coalition, it's based in Phoenix, but I see that you're, you're all traveling all around the country teaching CPR and first aid. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, we do we uh we decided we wanted to branch out out of Arizona, and we actually have had numerous people contact us from other states all over the country actually uh wanting us to travel to them to teach this and um we I reached out to a couple of different uh people, friends and uh groups and businesses that I just found on Facebook and reached out to them and say, "Hey, this is what we offer. We would love to come to your facility and teach this." Information to the pet parents and the pet professionals in your area, and we got a really good response. And because uh, a lot of people don't have um, instructors close to them, and so we want to make ourselves available uh, to come to them. We travel to uh, California a lot. We go to New Mexico, Santa Fe area, quite a bit. We're actually going there again in July. We go to Oklahoma. We go to Missouri. Um, any place, you know, right now it's a little difficult with the gas prices, but um, we are trying to travel as much as we can. And if we personally can't go, we try to contact other friends of ours that are also instructors so that these people can contact them and get into their classes.
0: Gotcha. Well, you know, we've got viewers and we've got listeners from all across the country and even listeners and viewers around the world. So. Uh, Can you do us a favor? Can you talk about how people can get in touch with you? How can they find you if they're interested in wanting to sign up for one of your first aid or CPR courses? How can they do that?
2: They can reach us at um, thefrontlinecoalition.com. That's our website. And we usually will put everything that we have up there first. Um, They can also check out the Facebook page, the Frontline Coalition. And since the fact that you have um, people all over, they can actually go to PetTech.net, and that they can plug in their um, zip code and their country information, because PetTech is an accredited um, program that does have instructors all over the world. So... um,
0: so if they're, outside, have, if they're outside of the U.S., they should go to pettech.net? Yes. Is that right? And if they're in the U.S., yes. they can reach you guys by going to frontlinecoalition.com. That's your website. Yes. And they can also go to your Facebook page, which is Frontline Coalition. Correct? Yeah, correct. Oh, yep. Perfect. Um, so I know part of the class, you know, I know you do CPR, but part of the class is also about Pet First Aid. Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that?
1: Sure. We talk uh, in the class about all different types of incidents that could possibly happen. We discuss choking, which is one of the uh, very common things that's going to happen, especially for a dog. Um, We go over how to clear the airway uh, in a choking situation. We talk about bleeding incidents, how to uh, control and stop the bleeding and wrap it up and then be and transfer them to the uh, veterinary hospital. We talk about uh, poisoning, different types of poisoning, uh, rattlesnake bites. Here in Arizona, we've got over 30 different types and species of, of rattlesnakes. So we teach people how to con- deal with that uh, and get them. And the main thing with that is to get them to the veterinary hospital as soon as possible. Um, we're, we're talking about drowning. What to do? Um, any type of incidents uh, that may happen. Seizures. Um, we talk about uh, muzzling. How to put on an emergency muzzle? Because when an animal is injured, um, they're gonna. they're hurting, they're gonna bite. Our, what we say is any pet that is in pain going to be moved into pain can and will bite. Even your own pet. Because if they're hurting, that is how they let us know is by biting. So we go over all those different types of incidents. And another thing that we do at the end of our class is we go through scenarios. We put the entire class through uh, a scenario to use all the information that they got during the class. And so it's like, okay, here's the situation. Dog hit by a car. There's the stuffed animal. Treated as a real incident. Go. And we watch them. And they handle that situation. And uh, we put them through their paces to see what they've learned that day.
0: You know, you were talking about an emergency situation and, you know, how a dog can bite and everything. And I know that you take some time with how to restrain your pet during an emergency, you know, and you kind of talked about that a little bit. But can you talk about why that is so important?
2: It's really important for the safety of you and the safety of the animal. just remember, you know, we're, we're there to help the animal. And at the same time, that's the way that they communicate. So we have to respect the fact that that's their communication system is to let us know and to possibly bite us. But if they do that and we get injured, then there's nobody that's available to help that animal. And so it's really about protecting yourself and protecting that animal so you can ensure that we can get that animal um addressed and to the vet safely.
0: Yeah. Now you also teach um, assessing your pet's vitals. Why, why is that important to learn?
1: Yes. We teach everybody how to check all the vital signs, just like on a human being. Uh, temperature, uh, the color of the gums, mu- the mucous membrane color and meaning, uh, breathing rate. Everything because, as I said earlier, when you do your snap to tail assessment, when you do a baseline, uh, that's checking all the vitals. So that way, when you check the gums and they're pale, or you check the pulse and it's very high or it's very low, you know something is wrong. Um, So, getting to know these and learning what the normal is, it's, it's just very, very important. And we go through all of that in class, all the numbers. And then Everybody also receives a book, a workbook in the class. So that way they have all this information that they can take home with them also. And we encourage them to take notes, write everything down, and then we answer all the questions that they may have.
0: Yeah. Um, can you guys share a story, um, from someone that you know that, um, say has taken the class, um, that saved their pet? (laughs)
2: Um, We actually get feedback a lot. I'm
0: sorry? No, no, go ahead.
2: Um, We we get a lot of feedback, and a lot of times it's from other pet professionals that I've had to use it um, during their workday. And um, we had one where it was a grooming facility, and they took our class, and a week later they had to perform CPR on a dog that um, had collapsed during the grooming process. And they reached out to us and let us know, thank you, because they at least knew what to do. Um, I recently myself had to use it on a grooming client, too. Um, there was a mixture of medications that uh, the owner didn't realize was not a good mixture and didn't notify me of that. And um, I actually had the dog collapse and stop breathing on my table. And luckily, I was able to know what I was doing and started performing CPR and was able to bring the dog back Um, and the dog is still with us today and what was nice about that was that two weeks later the owner ended up taking the CPR class realizing that it was really important Mm -hmm. Um, so it does work I've had to use it a few times one even on my own dog and was able to bring her back
0: Sure, I, and I had to do it. I, I brought a dog back to life. Um, it was a good thing that I knew uh, pet CPR, or that dog probably you know wouldn't uh, wouldn't be here today. I'm Will Bangura, and you're listening to Pet Talk today. We're here each and every Saturday morning from nine to ten a.m. on Facebook Live. If you're just joining us, um, we are interviewing. Uh, Melinda Malone and Kate Kaysen and they are from the Frontline Coalition Um, and and for people just joining us could you just go over again uh, why pet guardians should take a pet CPR in a first aid class
1: sure Uh, you just never know when something is going to happen Um, even in our own homes when you're out you're taking your dog out for a walk uh, going to the dog park Um, traveling with your pets, you just never know when something's going to happen. And um, it's the most um, awful feeling when you don't know what to do, even for the most simple incident, uh, you know, clearing the airway because they're choking on their food, Uh, what to do if they're having a seizure, or if they've cut themselves or they're out of the dog park. You know, what are you going to do? And being prepared, um, having your tools, having a first aid kit with you, and having those items with you to be able to stabilize your pet because if you can't get that bleeding stopped and it's and it's very bad you know a small dog can bleed out within seconds to minutes and just being able to do a few skills it's it's huge i mean it's just you know our 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 pets my dogs my my dogs are my babies i don't have any two-legged ones they're all fluffy four-legged ones so i would do anything to, to make sure that they're safe and Something happens to them that I am able to take care of them myself.
0: Absolutely. Now, I know in addition to the CPR and the first aid for pets, you guys do a nutritional class, don't you? Also? I do. Can you Um, talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So, um... That class, I always say that I come at that class as a pet parent, first and foremost, because it was my own dogs that took me on that journey. And when I got um, my my current crew, you know, I was like, I want them to eat the best of the best. And started doing my research and, and realized um, that there's a lot of, of marketing gimmicks that are on in the pet food industry. So when I teach this class, I go into the history of pet food. I go into how to read a pet food bag, how to understand ingredients, because I feel that as a pet parent, to have that knowledge, to be able to go into the pet store and look at that bag and know what you're feeding is really, really important. So I don't like to go into feeding one way specifically or feeding another way specifically, when I teach the class, it's to give you the information for you as a pet parent to say, you know what, I'm comfortable feeding that. I'm not comfortable feeding that. But now you have the knowledge to be able to make that choice.
0: Absolutely. I'm Will Bangora, and you've been listening to Pet Talk today here on Facebook Live, where we're here each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Answering your questions about your pet's training and behavior, as well as bringing you important topics that help you to really thrive with your pet. And today, we've been interviewing Kate Kaysen and Melinda Malone from the Frontline Coalition, and they provide pet CPR and pet first aid classes, and as Kate was saying, also nutritional classes. Guys, how can our listeners, you know, if there's new people that just jumped on, um, and for those that have been listening that might not have jotted it down, how can our listeners get in touch with you to sign up for your course or get more information about about your courses?
1: We have a website, uh, thefrontlinecoalition.com. And that is really the best way because on our website, we have complete course descriptions. We have a course schedule page and they can look and choose which class they wanna take. And then also the breakdown, the timing of the class. Um, That is the best way. They can also go to our Facebook page, the Frontline Coalition. All the classes are also listed there on our events page. Um, So those are the best ways to get a hold of us because we are constantly, just like everybody else on Facebook, and we're watching those private messages come through and and the comments come through. And we are very receptive and we uh, get back to people as soon as we possibly can. And it's pretty quick, usually within a half hour to 45 minutes that we respond. Um, And then if they have more questions, then we can definitely set up a phone call um, to talk to people. And uh so that way they can get all their answers, uh questions answered, you know, all at once, instead of going back and forth. And um we are very open to that. We love talking to people on the phone and discussing what their needs are and and letting them know what we have available.
0: Well, you know, it is June and if Listeners are just jumping on. June is National Pet Preparedness Month. And I am so glad that we were able to get both of you on the show today to talk about the importance of pet CPR, the importance of, you know, first aid. It is just something that, you know, even though I know it a little bit, I think I'm going to take your course because there's a lot I don't know. Okay. And so, folks, if you're listening you know, I never thought in a million years I would need to do CPR on a dog, and I had to. And, and luckily, I knew what I was doing there, and the dog survived. But folks, this is so critical. Do yourself a favor. Really consider taking this course. Go to the frontlinecoalition.com get more information, go to their Facebook page, the frontline coalition, get more information, share that with your friends, with your family. And you know what? We're going to probably save a dog's life or maybe even more dogs. Okay. Uh, Melinda, Kate, thank you so much for joining us on pet talk today. You guys are welcome back anytime. Bless you for the work that you're doing uh, for pet parents and, and for pets. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, ladies, I appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful day. I'm Will Bangura, and you're listening to Pet Talk today here on Facebook Live. We're heard in over 75 countries worldwide each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, where we take calls sometimes and your questions and provide you with practical answers, as well as evidence-based, science-based solutions to your puppy and dog training behavior problems. Do me a favor, please like and share Pit Talk today with all of your family and friends who are dog lovers. Do us a favor, click the like button below. Also, let us know in the comments section where you're listening from and comment what type of dog that you have and then hit that share button and share this show uh, to your Facebook pages so that more people can benefit from that. If you have a question about your dog's behavior, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to be taking calls today. So if you have a question about your dog's behavior and you would like some advice, if you would like some help for me, give me a call. The number to reach me is 414-400-3647. That's 414 400 dogs Again, 414-400-3647. Um, as you can see, my co-host, Jordan Marsteller, is not here today. <clears throat> he is uh, taking a well-deserved vacation, and he is um, in Virginia visiting his family. Um Are you guys subscribed to the Pet Talk Today podcast? We've got a special podcast show um, that are not on Facebook. And sometimes we do special podcasts that the Facebook Live doesn't get to see. So um, you never want to miss an episode. Go to Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Pet Talk Today. Please give Pet Talk Today a five-star review please give us a review on Apple podcast that helps our podcast rank higher. And when people are searching for dog training help, we are higher and that's all based on reviews. So please go to Apple podcast and give us a five-star review. If you love what we're doing, if you appreciate what we're doing, I'm Will Bangora and you're listening to pet talk today. We're heard in 75 countries worldwide. We're here each and every Saturday morning from nine to 10 AM mountain standard time. And we're here to help you with your dog and puppy training questions. I also, I also talk about cats. So if you have a cat and you've got a question about your cat, you can ask me. If you have a question, do me a favor, give me a call. The number to reach me is 414-400-3647. Once again, that number, 414-400-3647. One of the things that I do wanted to talk about today was the five biggest dog training mistakes that people make and and it's not just lay people that make these mistakes um i've watched a lot of professional dog trainers make these mistakes and they're they're common but these are some big things that we can change and and we're able to change this pretty easily the number one thing that i see that people do training their dogs and uh, you know where they um have problems where they're making mistakes the first one is poisoning the cue or poisoning the command and the biggest the biggest offender to that one is the recall when people are calling um their dog to come to them. And when they call their dog, hang on, this might be, this might be somebody trying to get in touch with us uh, from, uh, for the show. And then again, it says scam likely. I don't know if I should even answer this. Let's see who this is. Bear with us here. Yes. Hello. Pet talk today. How can I help you? Hello. Pet talk today. Yeah, it's a scam call. Sorry about that, guys. Um, Tell you what, if you've got a question, just go ahead and type it in the comments section. That way I don't get these scam calls coming through. Um, We're going to get a dedicated line for Pit Talk today shortly. You know, we used to be on 1100 KFNX AM radio. And since we left that, I've had to get all of this equipment so we can record the podcast. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and just shut that down so that we don't have any issues with Folks calling us and interrupting um, the show. But yeah, getting back to the top five mistakes that, that people make. You know, and what I mean by poisoning the cue. Now imagine this. Imagine that your dog takes a sock or a shoe or something that belongs to you. And the dog likes it. Puppies do this all the time. They love it. They grab something. They're running around. They play that chase game. They want you to chase them. And you call the dog to come to you. And then what do you do? You take the object out of the dog's mouth and maybe you scold the dog. Well, think about this. Think about this. You ask the dog to come to you. You then took away something it really liked and wanted. And then maybe you scold the dog. So there's all of this negativity that happens after the dog comes. So, you know, the dog starts saying, hey, every time I come, Bad things happen. And before long, your dog's not coming to you at all. So if your dog has something in its mouth or you need to call your dog because there's a problem, don't scold the dog. Don't necessarily take what it has in its mouth. That's a whole other show to talk about how we stop dogs from stealing things that don't belong to them. But what I want you to do instead is praise the dog, give love, praise affection. We always, you know, the recall, the come command is the most important command that you could have. That could save your dog's life. And we don't want to poison that cue by having something negative, something that dog doesn't like, happening right after we call the dog. So even if they've got something that they shouldn't have, When they come, reward the dog for coming. And you know what? If you've got high-value food rewards, that's even better. And guess what? I'll bet you anything, whatever the dog has in its mouth, if you've got high-value food rewards, when you call the dog to you, the dog's probably going to drop what it has in its mouth. But like I said, we've got a whole other show that we need to do on how to stop dogs or puppies from picking up things that they, they shouldn't have. Now, the second biggest mistake that people make training their dogs and even dog trainers again, is focusing on the corrections rather than rewarding good behavior consistently. You know, it's so easy. And I think our culture, just who we are as humans, it's so much easier, you know, with people, how we, it's easier for us to find things wrong with them than to find things right. Okay. Unless you've done a lot of personal growth work on yourself. Um, And it's the same thing in training. You know, it's easy for us. Every time the dog does something wrong, we want to punish the dog or we scold the dog or something. But let me ask you this. How much time do you spend? How often do you reward your dog for good behavior? You know, if your dog's hyper... You always want to scold the dog, right? Well, how about when the dog gets calm? Do you reward the dog? How about when that hyper dog lays down on its own? Do you reward the dog? How about if the dog makes a different choice that it used to make a bad choice for something and now in this certain situation, it's making a better choice. Are you rewarding the dog? Or are you just letting all that good behavior go by without being recognized? And again, that is the second biggest mistake that I see people doing number three of the top five dog training mistakes. That's going to be only being reactive versus proactive. And what I mean by that is not teaching what behavior that you want. So let me give you an example. And and this kind of goes back into number two, where you're focused all on corrections rather than uh, rewarding positive behavior. So let me give the example of a guest coming into the house and the dog jumps up on them and you don't want the dog to jump. So maybe you're the person that had been focusing all on corrections and also the only time you dealt with the jumping problem was when somebody did come over. So in that instance, you're being reactive. Reactive and only focusing on the correction. What I want you to do I want you to be proactive. I want you to be proactive. And I also want you to focus on the positive, really, really focus on the positive. Because if you don't reward the dog for good behavior, that's not going to get conditioned. Your dog's not going to want to repeat that behavior. But you know, there's always some kind of a reinforcer for a behavior. Look, folks, um, animals are animals. There's two motivations for doing something. One, we do something to get a reward. Dogs are the same thing. Number two, we do something to avoid pain or avoid something that we don't want. We do that. Dogs do that. There's only two kinds of motivation when you really break it down to its simplest form. So again, back to my example of the dog jumping when a guest comes over. Well, being proactive versus being reactive might be Teaching your dog a really good sit-stay over and over and over and over. And then doing some distraction training once your dog gets that. And little by little, adding more and more distractions. And when your dog doesn't take the bait of the distractions, you're rewarding the dog. And then once you've done that, then you have situations where you set the dog up. You have strangers come over. This is planned. This is proactive. Because dogs need Repetition, they need consistency. And hey, what if you only have somebody come over to the house every once in a while? That might not happen. So you need to be proactive. You call the neighbor, you call a family member that can come in as a uh, guest that they're not that familiar with where they would normally jump. And one of the things you can do proactively is start by having the dog do that sit stay. Further away from the door where the person comes in, maybe you can have somebody else open the door. Maybe you could just have your helper open the door because the further away your dog is from the trigger, the less likely that, that jumping behavior, the one you don't want, is going to happen. And then what you can do little by little as you're practicing this, you can get the dog closer and closer and closer. And again, rewarding the dog when it doesn't jump. Rewarding the dog when it does the alternative behavior that we took the time to teach first Again, that's being proactive. It's so easy to be reactive and just punish the dog. That's not fair to the dog. The dog's just being a dog. It's our job to teach the dogs, what are the rules? You know, we're asking dogs to live in a human world, and they're not humans. Dogs are dogs, and they've got to learn to adapt. And they do an amazing job, really, considering the fact that they're not a human species. But it's our job to show them what to do, um, and be fair to the dog, all right, <clears throat> Number four of the top five dog training mistakes that people make um, not being consistent, giving up before the miracle that 's that 's what I like to say, so not being consistent. listen if you 've got a problem with your dog barking or you 've got a problem with your dog jumping or you 've got a problem with your dog getting in the trash or stealing something. If you're not consistent, if, you know, some of the times you let the dog get away with the behavior you don't want, and then other times you're working with the dog to do an alternative behavior or not do the behavior that you don't want, um, the dog's going to be very confused. You know, dogs, the way they think, the way they learn, the way that they process information, everything is extremely black and white. There's very little gray zone for a dog. Um, their frontal cortex, their ability to use um, logic and reason and critical thinking is, is minute. It's about as much as a two-year-old, which is almost zero. Okay. Um, they're responding from an emotional part of the brain. They're responding from the older part of the brain. And so we need to be consistent with them. They need lots of repetition. And, you know, I'll have people say to me, for example, when they have problems with potty training and the dog's going to the bathroom in the house, they will tell me, well, the dog knows it shouldn't go in the house because when I come home, it looks guilty. Listen, folks, you think your dog wants to be punished every time you come home? You think your dog is angry at you and doing this despite you? Because that's not what's happening. OK, let me tell you what happens. The dog has consistently had mistakes and you have consistently come home and punished the dog. And so now the dog has been conditioned that when you walk in the door, be scared. It's not a guilty look. The dog's like, oh, dad comes home now and I get punished. Listen, you've got zero to a half a second to pair rewards with the right kind of behavior and to pair consequences with the right behavior in order for the dog to be able to connect the dots. So timing is really important, but consistency is important. So let's say you weren't watching the dog. Okay. And the dog is having two to three accidents a week. Okay. Now you not being consistent on one hand, the dog's going to the bathroom in the house. There's no consequence. So as far as the dog's concerned, it's okay. There's no problem going in the house. Okay. Now, maybe when you were around, you scolded the dog when it went to the bathroom in the house. So the dog has learned, well, when the people are in my eyesight, then I can't go to the bathroom in the house. But if they're not in my eyesight, I can go to the bathroom in the house. And there's no problem with it. They don't care. Seriously, folks, that's what it is. You know, they did this whole thing about I come home, my dog looks guilty. Listen, let me tell you about a study they did. Um, There was a several dogs. They took dogs that like to be destructive and they grabbed dogs around the country that like to shred paper every time their owners were gone. And so what they did was they had the dog engage in that behavior on and on again, just like it always did. They had the owners come in just like they always did. And of course the dog looked like it was guilty, but that's not the case. The dog was used to because it shredded paper every day, the owner coming home and being upset. And so, the dog then started to be conditioned that when my owner comes home, bad things happen. Not the connection between, uh uh-oh, I should not have shredded the newspaper, okay? So, what they did was they set up all these dogs where they brought them back into their home, but... Newspaper had already previously been shred. They didn't shred it. The dogs didn't shred it. The shredded paper was put there. Then they had the owner come in the home. And sure enough, the dogs gave that same look as if they were guilty. But no, they didn't do anything. They didn't shred that paper. How could they be guilty? They couldn't be. So again, it's that correlation, the connection that the dog makes between, hey, when you come home, bad things happen. So if your dog's going to the bathroom in the house, if your dog's being destructive in the house, if you don't catch a dog in the act, you need to let that go. Number one rule when you've got a dog or a puppy that has destruction problems or potty training issues, supervise, keep the dog in your eyesight at all times. And if you've got to put the dog on leash or tether the dog to you, then that's what you've got to do. If you can't watch them, Anytime you can't watch them, they need to be crated because typically in a crate, what? They're not going to mess the crate. If they're in the crate, they can't destroy your house. And you need to make sure that you are being proactive when you are working with your dogs and not just being reactive. Be proactive. Teach them what you want to do. Always ask yourself a question. When your dog is doing something you don't want, what would I rather have them do? And teach them and reward them and teach them and reward them and be consistent and do it over and over and over again. Hey, the behavior that's getting all the rewards, that's the one that the dog's gonna wanna do. But you gotta put in the work. You gotta put in the work. You've got to teach them. All right. I just covered number five, actually. I went into it. Number five was supervisor confined. Again, another huge mistake. People have dogs that are destructive. Here's a good one the dogs are destructive in the house. And so I've seen a lot of owners just throw them outside for a long period of time so that they don't have to watch them in the house so that uh, they don't destroy the house. And guess what happens? Anybody know anyone? Bueller Bueller. Yeah. The dog starts destroying the backyard because that's what the dog's doing. and hasn't been taught to do anything else. And the dog's bored for crying out loud. Okay. Well, guess what? I've got a bonus for you folks. I've got a bonus. I'm going to give you a few more. These are bonus tips. These are bonus mistakes that people make training their dogs. And again, I watch a lot of dog trainers do this as well. Number six, remember, number five was supervise or confine. Okay. Don't let a dog that's problematic be unsupervised. You're never going to get the problem resolved. Number six, interruption versus a correction a lot of people might be telling their dog no but that i've watched people tell their dog no you know like um let's say um, fluffy okay fluffy's my fictitious dog so fluffy's jumping and the owner's like no 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 now fluffy you know you shouldn't jump like that that is not a correction That's an interruption. You may stop the dog from doing the unwanted behavior for a little bit, but there was nothing unpleasant that happened. Okay, now, those of you that have been watching the show, you know that I'm all about trying to teach positive solutions first. Teach the dog what we want it to do instead, really put in the work, be consistent with that, reward that behavior, um, be proactive, all these things that I'm talking about. Now, if you've done all that, you've done the work, and your dog is still having problems, right? Then you're going to use a correction. What's a good correction? Well, I don't want you to yell at your dog. I don't want you to hit your dog. I don't want you to use these collars that hurt your dog. However, there's a thing called negative punishment, okay? And let me talk a little bit about how negative punishment works. In negative punishment, you change a behavior by taking away something That the dog likes let me give you a human example so you can understand this okay let's say that one of your children all of a sudden was doing poor in school because maybe they were getting lazy they didn't want to do their homework so the behavior you don't want is you don't want them not doing their homework you want them to do their homework okay so what you do is you maybe you take away the Wi-Fi password and you tell you know your children, until you start changing your behavior, until this behavior of being lazy stops, because we're trying to stop the behavior, and we stop the behavior by taking away something that they like. You ever heard, anybody ever read online or been talked to by a trainer or somebody that when the dog jumps, turn your back to the dog because the dog wants attention from you. They want engagement from you. So when you turn your back away, you're taking away something the dog wants, what it likes. That's negative punishment. Okay. Another thing that's negative punishment, let's say that, you know, you've been doing everything positive with your dog. You put in the time, um, but for some reason, your dog's still not getting the whole potty training thing or don't steal my stuff. Don't be destructive. Well, when your dog's in the act of doing that, you can go ahead and put your dog in the crate for about two minutes. Yeah, it's a timeout, but that's negative punishment. The dog doesn't want to go in the crate. The dog would rather be part of what's happening, what's going on in the world. Dogs are very social. So when your dog does a behavior that you don't like, again, I encourage you to teach what you want first, to put in the time first, to positively reinforce that first, But when that fails, maybe you need to use negative punishment. But this started with me saying most people interrupt unwanted behaviors rather than correct them. And corrections are things that are a little bit unpleasant. An interruption is not unpleasant. And if you're only interrupting uh, the behavior, you're stopping it for that moment. And the behavior just keeps coming back and back and back. Um, Number seven. Seven of the top mistakes that people make training their dogs, number seven is giving the dog a pass for bad behavior. You know, that kind of goes with not being consistent, okay? And I know it's hard. If, if you've got a dog or a puppy that is getting into a lot of unwanted behaviors, uh, you, you might feel like, man, I never get a break. If, if I've got to constantly be on that dog, well, listen, if that's the situation, you need to take a break. And that's why dogs need to be crate trained. Because when you've got a really destructive dog or you got a dog with a bad potty training issue, and the rule is, hey, I got a supervisor confined. Well, you need a life too. You need a break for these from these kind of dogs. You may have to put them in the crate and and chill out for a little bit, take a break. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want your dogs living in that crate. That's not fair. But the crate is an important part of giving you a little peace of mind and a little break, as well as teaching your dog not to be destructive. Um, and also, it helps the dog learn to self-soothe a little bit. There's nothing wrong with uh, crate training a dog. As a matter of fact, it's a really good, good thing. Um, okay, number eight of the top mistakes that people make training their dogs. Number eight, having the one and done mentality. Versus the long haul, and what I mean by that is people don't put enough repetition into their training. Their dog does the behavior. They ask for the behavior. The dog doesn't. And they're like, oh, my dog's got it. Well, dogs are very context specific in how they learn. So, in the house when nothing's going on and you ask the dog to sit, maybe the dog does it. But now change change the dynamic a little bit. Have somebody come through that front door. Maybe your dog doesn't stay in the sit. Okay, Um, and that's what I mean by the long haul, really putting in the time, really saying to yourself, hey, listen, yeah, my dog can sit on command, but is this muscle memory? You see, no animal, human, feline, canine, no animal is truly trained until it becomes muscle memory where it's unconscious. They don't have to think about what they need to do. Boom, they just do it. Anybody ever played an instrument? Every, anybody ever learned to drive on a stick shift? You know, I know I played instruments when I was a kid. I learned on a stick shift. When I first learned on a stick shift, it was brutal. I mean, I'm, I'm popping the clutch. I'm stalling the car. You know, I got to start the car back up, grinding gears, But you know, with repetition of practicing day in and day out and day in and day out, now I get behind a stick shift and I'm driving all over the place and I'm not even thinking about shifting. I'm not thinking about the clutch. You know, I could take a bite of a sandwich, shift. Drink of my drink, shift. And it's just an unconscious automatic process. Same thing with instruments. If you ever got good playing an instrument, in the beginning, it's brutal. It's horrible. But as you continue to practice, then it becomes an unconscious process. That's good dog training. When you get to that point, okay, when you get to that point where you've done enough repetition that your dog will do it no matter what, doesn't even have to think about it. You don't have competing motivators, which are distractions. Competing motivator, just another word for distractions. Um, Number nine, Number nine of the top mistakes people make training their dogs. Number nine is reinforcing unwanted but functional behaviors, okay? So what's a functional behavior? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say we have a dog that um, is afraid to walk out the door with you and go for a walk, okay? And every time you get to that door, which the dog views as an aversive. The dog views going outside as punishment if it doesn't like it, okay? Now, reinforcing unwanted but functional behaviors. So imagine the dog doesn't want to go out the door and you close the door and remove the dog away from the door. Well, you just reinforce a behavior that's functional. The dog didn't want to go outside, so the dog put on the brakes. That's the behavior. And then you said, oh, what the heck? I'm not going to force the dog to go outside. Let me take the leash off and bring you back in, uh, over into the uh, living room area. Well, you just reinforced the functional behavior. The dog didn't want to go outside, okay? And there was pressure. Going outside is an aversive, and the dog put the brakes on, and then you removed the dog from the pressure. You removed the dog from the thing he didn't like, which was going out that door, okay? And when you remove that, That's called negative reinforcement. Let me give you an example of negative reinforcement you can understand. So um, the American Automobile Association and Department of Transportation have a vested interest in you wearing your seatbelt. So they use negative reinforcement to get you to wear the seatbelt. If you don't put the seatbelt on, something annoying or unpleasant or aversive happens. Ding, 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 ding. And that annoyance, that aversive, that something unpleasant continues to happen until you do the behavior of buckling up. Once you buckle up, that annoyance goes away. It's removed. That ding, ding, ding goes away. It stops. Well, it going away is a minus sign, take away. So negative reinforcement means we are removing something that's unpleasant when the behavior occurs. So if the behavior is the dog putting the brakes on and when it, when you want it to go out the door and you don't, you pull the dog back, take the dog away from you're removing the aversive, what's uncomfortable going outside the pressure. Does that make sense? That's negative reinforcement. Remember, remember, anytime you hear reinforcement, that means strengthen a behavior And that means it's more likely that a behavior is going to occur and it's going to strengthen a behavior, okay? Reinforcement, think about reinforcing a bridge, making it stronger, okay? Um, So that's one way that we reinforce unwanted but functional behaviors. It's functional for the dog. Another great example is when a dog gets aggressive and they go after a dog and all of a sudden you pull them away. Again, they didn't want that dog there. That's why they aggressed. And when you pull them away, well, that's negative reinforcement. Number 10, failure to set boundaries and establish rules. Remember I said that dogs are living in our world? It's really important that you set boundaries. It's really important that you set rules so that um, the dogs know what it is that you want them to do. Again, they are living in our life, and when they're living in our world, it's important that we teach them what the rules are. It's unfair if we don't teach them, um, having some boundaries, having some guidelines. If you have not subscribed to the pet talk today podcast, please subscribe to the pet talk today podcast. Go find the podcast on, um, pack structure, how to be a pack leader, okay? And this is very different. We're talking about a benevolent leader. We're not talking about doing alpha roles, which is bull. We're not talking about, you know, trying to show the dog who's the boss. That's that's not, that stuff, that whole alpha stuff, that was, uh, that's been debunked a long, long time ago. I'm Will Bangura, and you've been listening to Pet Talk Today here on Facebook Live. We're here each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., and I apologize that I wasn't able to take anybody's questions today. If you have a question about your dog's behavior, do me a favor. Type it into the comments section, and next week, Saturday, come back because I'm going to start the show next Saturday by answering the questions that people put in the comments section. I'm also going to answer questions that get emailed to us. If you want to email a question or if you have a comment about our show, you can send an email to info at PetTalkToday.com. That's info at PetTalkToday.com. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a great show. Thank you to Melinda and thank you to Kate. Um, I appreciate them. And folks, visit their website at the Frontline Coalition and think about taking um, a pet CPR, a pet first aid course. And uh, we'll see you back. Next week, everybody, have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Love your dogs. Do some training.